0: Good morning, everyone. Um, the Bible reading this morning—the oh, Bible reading this morning—comes from Mark chapter five, starting at verse 21 through to the end of the chapter, and it's headed "Jesus raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman." That's right, isn't it, Rachel? Thank you. <laughs> when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake. A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, named Jairus, came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, "'My little daughter is dying. "'Please come and put your hands on her "'so that she will be healed and live.' If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see, the people crowded against you, his disciples answered, and yet you you can ask, who touched me? They said, why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said, Talitha koum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, The girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning.
1: Thank you so much for that. Um, and thank you especially for your willingness to change at the last minute and to read such a long passage. Um, all right. just not going to... Yep. Okay. Before we get started, I'm going to pray. Lord God, uh, thank you so much um, for um, the words that were read out to us. Um, and thank you um, for... Um, for your grace and, and for helping me to, to prepare for this morning. Um, Lord, I just ask that the words that I say will be the words um, that you want your people here um, to hear and to understand today. Amen. All right. It's a very long passage, um, and it is one of my favorites uh, because I think it shows really clearly one of the things that I love about Jesus. Um, and that is the way that Jesus went out of his way um, to uplift those who were at their lowest points in life, um, the way that he valued the people uh, that society did not value. Um, and in this case, that was women, uh, women and the sick, um, because we know that in first-century Jewish culture, women, much like Cows and sheep and goats were property um, and were often treated as such. And yet, uh, Jesus went out of his way time and time again uh, to show women that they have value and to show um, other people (laughs) that women have value. Um, So we get to talk about that today, and I'm very excited. Um, Now, I don't know, when you read this passage um, and you get to the end of it, what's the bit that stands out to you? Um, But I suspect it might be the fact that there was a dead girl who is now alive. Um, And that is fantastic. Um, That's a great story. But there's actually something else that happens in the middle of this passage that we sometimes forget by the time we get to the end of it. Um, I don't know if you noticed her in the middle there, this woman in the crowd. I'm pretty sure most of the people who were in the crowd on that day didn't notice her. Uh, And those who did notice her gave her a wide path because she was unclean. Um, And I think the message that I want to talk about today is not the message of of the raising to life of a dead little girl, but the message of a woman uh, who had been in unimaginable suffering for 12 years uh, and who was freed from that. it's kind of a weird story. Uh, It's almost like a footnote. Um, Mark often does this weird thing where he sandwiches a story inside of another story. Um, It's a a technique we see throughout the book of Mark, Um, and it's it's one that he uses here. Um, Not always clear on why he does it, but I think Mark was a very gifted storyteller, Um, and I I think uh, there's... There's something really uh, almost experiential in the way that this story is told. The way that this woman is sandwiched in between a a much, uh, I guess, more amazing to many people thing. Um, Because I suspect this woman felt like a footnote, felt like an afterthought for much of her life. Um, We know that this woman has been bleeding for 12 years and that's pretty much the only thing we know about her. We don't know her name we don't know her family situation, Uh, we know she's been bleeding for 12 years, but that one little thing actually tells us quite a lot about her life. Uh, If you're familiar with ancient Jewish law, you'll know that passage in Leviticus 15 that talks about uh, discharges causing uncleanliness, Um, and if anyone is feeling uncomfortable with this topic, just remember this woman was much more uncomfortable, and we can deal with this for a few minutes. Um, So, Leviticus 15 says that a woman on her period is considered unclean, and I want to be very clear, that's not saying she is physically unclean, she is ceremonially unclean, which means she is not fit to step foot in the temple, she's not fit to come before God in that state. Um, I also want to be very clear that that is a Jewish uh, practice and culture, and that is not our practice and culture. Um, So... For first century Jews, if a woman was on her period, she was unclean, and not only was this woman unclean, but anything that she sat on, anything that she lay down on, anything that she touched, was also unclean. Anyone who touched her, or touched one of the things that she had sat or lay down on, was also unclean. Goes on to say that when a woman has any form of bleeding outside of her normal period, um, the same rules apply. So this woman has been bleeding for 12 years, and we read that and go, oh, that's not fun. But when you stop and think, this woman has not experienced any form of physical touch for 12 years. No one has put a hand on her shoulder, no one has given her a hug, No one has even brushed past her in a crowd because if they did, they were unclean. So they kept well away from her. Now, um, I think thanks to the COVID pandemic, many of us know what it feels like to be isolated for a small amount of time. Um, I'm, I'm sure most of us at some point in the last few years had to isolate either because we had COVID or at least because we were we'd had a test and we had to isolate until we got the results. Um, I cannot imagine doing that for more than a week. This woman has done that for 12 years. She hasn't, we don't know if she had a husband or kids, but if she did, she hasn't been able to sleep in the same bed as her husband. She hasn't been able to give her kids a hug. I cannot imagine the loneliness that this woman must have felt. I cannot imagine what this woman would have have thought of, about how much value she has in the world. And I have to wonder what else she'd turn to. Uh, these days when people have chronic illness, uh, we hear about people um, trying all manner of, of things. They, they go on uh, experimental drugs, which... Okay, I think we can all understand that. Um, They might turn to diets, or crystals, or essential oils, or all manner of things, um, because when you've been sick for that long, when you've been in pain for that long, when you've been isolated for that long, you'll do anything to feel normal. You'll do anything to stop the pain. Um, I wonder whether this woman had done the same. We know um, historically that there were um, healers, um, both spiritual healers and and, and people who made all sorts of lotions and potions and herbs and who knows what else. Um, I wonder how many of these people she had visited. I wonder how many faith healers had prayed over her, or maybe none because she knew she had no value in society and wasn't worthy of that. Either way, we do know that she has spent all of her money She has no money left, no doctor can help her. Whatever her history, at some point she hears about this guy, Jesus. Uh, And like many people at the time who heard about this guy called Jesus who was going around doing amazing things, she thought, I wonder if he can help me as well. And I, I don't know how long she waited um, whether she travelled to another place to see Jesus or, or whether she waited till he was coming through her town. Um, but finally she got her chance and she's managed to find herself in this crowd quite close to him. Uh, and we, we know you know, their streets were not lovely, wide streets like we have. They were narrow in between the buildings. They didn't have cars, so they didn't need big, wide streets for, for, for their vehicles. Um, and, and I can imagine just a horde of people... Crowded into a narrow street, all trying to get closer to Jesus, who's at the front going to save this little girl's life. And she manages to to squeeze her way through the crowd, um, possibly bumping into people. Maybe that's the first time someone's touched her in a very long time. Um, And she manages to get just close enough to stretch out her hand and just brush her fingertips against the edge of his clothing. And I can imagine her instantly realizing that she's healed, that it's done. Um, And I can imagine her kind of fading back into the crowd. She's got what she wanted, she's going to get out of here. When all of a sudden, Jesus stops and turns around and he says, Who touched my clothes? And I cannot tell you for certain how she reacted, but I can imagine that she felt pretty guilty. (laughs) Um, And I I wonder how much of her effort, how much of her excitement um, at being healed it took for her to step forward and say it was me. But she does probably realizes she's got no choice because Jesus isn't going to go anywhere until he finds out what happened. And so she steps forward and she explains. Now at this point you've got to remember Jesus was a pretty well-known guy. Word had spread, people were coming from all over to be healed. There is a little girl dying right now and he is stopping to chat. And um, if it was me, I would be going, I'm going to get in so much trouble. This important guy is on his way to do an important thing, and I have stopped him. This is never good. But Jesus responds with love and grace like this woman may never have experienced before. He calls her daughter and he tells her to be at peace, and just like that, it's over. We never hear about this woman again. Presumably she leaves um, and, and goes off to wait her seven days and perform the cleansing rituals so that she can go back to whoever is waiting for her at home. Uh, and Jesus turns his attention back to this sick little girl. It's a really short encounter, but it's, I think it's such a powerful message. Um, and sometimes the message is misconstrued and sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we lump this event in with all those other healings, the blind who could see, the lame who could walk, and we take it as evidence that, hey, Jesus heals. And he does, sure. We see that throughout the Bible, don't we? But I don't think that's the whole message here. This woman was sick for 12 years. That's 12 years of pain and suffering that does not miraculously disappear just because it's over now. There's trauma there. There's, there's a long history of hurt. This woman is going to have to figure out what it means to live as a part of society again. And this woman is not the only sick person in the world. She's not even the only sick person in this passage. And she came to Jesus with no guarantee that he would heal her. She didn't know what was going to happen that day. She was just desperate enough to try anything. There was no promise given, just hope that he could help. And so I don't think the message is, if you are sick, go to Jesus and he will definitely heal you. Instead, the message is that Jesus has time for this woman, that Jesus values this woman, that this woman is a valued person child of God in that moment nothing is more important nothing is pulling him away he doesn't keep walking while he's talking to her walk with me and tell me what's going on no he stops he stops everyone and in that moment he has time for this woman and for her problems no matter what else is going on in his world Jesus is fully present with this woman in her suffering and in her healing. He could have kept walking. He could have ignored that feeling of the power going out of him and, and gone, well, I've done another good deed today and kept going because a dying little girl is an important thing. But as well as healing her physical illness, Jesus made sure to give this woman validation and love, to heal her emotional wounds, and to start the process of healing her spiritual wounds as well. What an exquisite description of pastoral care, of holistic healing, of the kind that only Jesus can give us. You know, the Bible tells us quite a lot about worries and struggles and, and what to do with them, doesn't it? Psalm 94 says, "When your anxiety was great within me sorry, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy." Philippians four tells us, "Do not be anxious about everyth- anything, but in every situation, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. In Matthew 11, Jesus himself says, "Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And um, 1 Peter five tells us to cast all of our anxiety on Him because he cares for us. And if we take all of those verses and and many more that I haven't mentioned and all the stories of people in the Bible doing just that, we can see a remarkable picture of what it looks like to take our worries to God. Because if anything, this woman is an illustration of these verses, isn't she? It says, cast your anxiety on God. And if we go, how do I do that? We can look at this woman and see what she did, and then we can see how Jesus responded in that moment with love and grace, and we can know that he responds similarly to us. I was um, speaking with a group of friends recently, and everyone in the group um, all have different experiences of suffering. Um, In that group of friends, we've got Uh, Chronic illness, infertility, marriage breakdown, really um, difficult family dynamics and and loss of family members and, and a whole bunch more. And we were talking in this group about the ways in which we've seen God working in those times of really deep suffering, in those times when we think, what is this even for? Trusting God in the midst of immense personal pain and suffering is not always our first instinct. Um, And it's almost never a really easy thing to do. But the brief interaction that Jesus has with this woman who is at the lowest point of her life and has been there for so long is a stunning portrait of what that can look like for us. We can see the desperation in this woman in contrast to Jairus, and that's, this is why I had Rhonda read the entire passage, even though it's really long, and even though the bit that I wanted to talk about is really short, is because when you compare Jairus with this woman, I think you can really see her desperation. Jairus marched straight up to Jesus and asked him to help. We know that he was a synagogue leader, which means he was probably very well respected in the community, probably financially comfortable, if not well off. He lived a life of privilege. And contrast this with a woman who sneaks up behind Jesus, trying to blend into the crowd, just hoping to touch his clothing, not even feeling like she's worthy of a face-to-face interaction. I don't want to dwell on Jairus too much. He's a topic for another sermon. But in him I see a man who is used to getting what he wants and needs. I don't mean that he's power hungry or narcissistic, we've no evidence for that, Um, but I do mean that he's not used to suffering. He's lived a pretty good life. He's clearly got a family at home who he loves, a well-respected position in society, but suddenly his daughter is sick. And as he marches up to Jesus, I see no hint in him that he has even considered the idea that maybe Jesus won't heal his daughter, that maybe Jesus won't be able to help. Um, now, he's not the villain of this story. Please don't, please don't take that away. Um, he's just lived well and safely and happily. But if you contrast him with this woman, um, she's lost everything. She knows from experience that her health her financial security and her happiness are in no way guaranteed. We all know what it's like to suffer in one way or another, don't we? Um, and I think most of us uh, have probably looked back on our ourselves and our attitudes and our behaviours from the time before we were suffering and gone, "Oh, I was so naive. I was so stupid. I was so insensitive." Maybe we've even wished that we could still be that naive now that we didn't know what we've learned through all of that suffering. I think we've all been a bit like Jairus sometimes, sheltered and safe and happy, but I think we've all been like this woman sometimes and, and fully aware of our own fragility. But the beautiful thing is that Jesus doesn't discriminate between these two people. These two very different people hold equal value in his eyes. One of them is not more important than the other. One of them is not a waste of time. He helps both of them. He gives both of them what they need. They're very different situations, very different journeys to healing, but both of them leave their encounters with Jesus having had their needs met. And I think there's a lesson there for us. Sometimes we're in positions where we can confidently approach Jesus and ask him for exactly what we need, knowing that he has the ability to give us that and confident in how he's going to respond to us. We're not always right, but sometimes we have that attitude. Uh, But sometimes we're in a position where things just seem so hopeless, where we feel so unworthy, so overwhelmed that we don't even know where to start. We don't even know how to express what we want or we need, Or even how to start that conversation. But we see in this passage that if we can just draw near to Him, just get close to Him, just reach out to Him, He will take time for us. He will turn towards us. Scripture tells us that, it shows us that here. And it tells us that in a number of places. In Chronicles, one Chronicles sixteen eleven tells us to seek the Lord with, uh, sorry, seek the Lord and His strength, seek His presence continually. And what happens when you're continually seeking Him? Scripture's clear on that too. Jeremiah twenty nine says, "You will seek Me and find Me when you seek Me with all your heart." Matthew seven says, "Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you." And perhaps most convincingly in James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And that's what we see in this encounter. It's what we see right here, draw near to God, like this woman drew near to God, and he will draw near to you. And it doesn't matter how bad it gets, doesn't matter how difficult things are, how downtrodden you've become, how desperate you are. If you draw near to Jesus, he will draw near to you. And just like he does with this woman, he will take time for you. He has time for you. You're not pulling him away from anything more important. Because as we see in his interaction with this woman and with Jairus' daughter, he can do both. So take comfort in that. Whatever's on your heart, it's never going to be too big or too small or too hard or too overwhelming for Jesus. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Just like we see him doing with this woman, he will offer hope and comfort in your time of need. And as to the healing he offers, it might be a physical healing from sickness or injury, but it might not be. It might be an emotional healing, a spiritual healing, that feeling of safety and security that comes from being in relationship with the creator of the world. So I want to finish by encouraging you to take the time today um, and each day this week um, and in an ongoing uh, way to draw near to Jesus. Maybe uh, you're feeling pretty good today. Maybe you are confident that when you approach he will answer whatever your needs are. Maybe you're feeling a little battered, a little bruised from what life has thrown at you this week or this month or in the last year. Maybe you're feeling a little bit unworthy. Just reach out to Jesus and he will draw near to you. He always has time for you and he's always there for you. Uh, and I'm going to pray for you right now. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this woman um, and for the way that you have shown us through your interaction with this woman, uh, the ways in which you uh, love us and, and heal us on, on many different levels. Thank you, Lord, that you know what is on everyone's heart here today. Thank you that you know our joy and our success and that you rejoice with us in that. And thank you that you know our pain and our hurt and those things that weigh heavily on us. And Lord, I just ask that as each person here uh, reaches out to you uh, and draws near to you, I pray um, that they would experience your presence in a really tangible way. Uh, Lord, we know that you draw near to us and we ask um, that you would do that in ways that are so obvious that we cannot miss it. Uh, And Lord, I pray uh, for those who have not been able to make it today that they too would know your presence in a really tangible way wherever they are. Uh, Lord, I lift this up to you in your name. Amen.